every day on the big show. What? Gordon and what? Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for What's Going On. We check in with the other shows, find out what's going on. Gordon, let's start with DJ and PK. They had Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports on their show today, one of the great college football writers, and uh, they covered a number of different topics. Let's uh, check in with what he had to say. Yeah, I I spoke to one of the um, Pac-12 players last night and just asked him to explain things and and how this started. And I also talked earlier in the day to Ramogi Huma, who's the activist um, out of Southern California, who, who uh, unlike other times, he didn't start this. These players came to him and, you know, one of the ideas, how do we do this? And it manifested itself, as you saw yesterday in that Players' Tribune post, um, a press release where, the, where I, I called it a manifesto. It was, you know, if indeed there are hundreds of uh, Pac-12 players involved, that would suggest they have the leverage and power to, you know, boycott or not play the season. And the guy I talked to last night, Jaden Grant, defensive back from Oregon State, say they're absolutely united in that. I, I did, and I did ask him, I said, you know, it's, it's a bit of a big ask for the Pac-12 to give up 50% of its revenue and some of this other stuff. And he said, yeah, it's a big ask, but we think, you know, we think it is deserved um, at this point. You know, they're sick of being, I don't know what the term is. I don't know what term they use exactly, but, um, you know the things they're asking for is things they don't have, and that's all. That's all mentioned with a reminder that I don't think players have ever had it better, uh, but they don't have as much as they should have, I guess, right now. So I don't know that anybody could really be disagreeing as far as the concerns of safety. That seems that that's paramount. Yeah. Signing waivers and all that kind of makes you a little bit nervous. So their thoughts on that are legitimate. And I think they would have complete and total public support there. The other stuff, how much do you think public support would be behind that? Uh, I, again, I don't know if you know asking for 50% of the revenue and for – uh, I think Larry Scott in his office to take, I think the quote was substantial pay cuts. I don't know if that's doable. You know, you are, you're paid what you're worth. You're paid what somebody will pay you. You know, that's what you're worth. That's getting a little bit private. If Larry Scott overpaid, I think we could do a whole show on that. Probably yes, but I don't think that's the point here. Now the point, and they pointed it out, is it took a combination of really Black Lives Matter George Young in the pandemic to get to this place. And I think I saw in an athletic story last night that they now say they have, excuse me, 400 players involved in this. So we'll see how, how strong it is. Um, they don't go to camp, the, the Pac-12, I don't think, until August 17th at the earliest. So they've got some time here to meet with the Pac-12, if indeed that happens. So we got a lot of BYU fans who be interested in your answer to this, and I know it's uh, probably opinion mixed with some thought as far as what the Big 12 is going to do with their conference football scheduling. Uh, that is supposed to be decided tonight, actually. The presidents, I think, are voting tonight. 
really a, a lot's on the table. I, I talked to Bob Bowlesby Saturday, maybe yesterday, I can't remember, the commissioner. Definitely 12 games still on the schedule, a full season. Um, also, nine games plus one non-conference game is on the table. The ADs were kind of split when they talked about it Friday. So they're giving those two options to the presidents um, tonight. Uh, the problem with, with really playing 12 or 9 plus 1 is there are no Power 5 options for the Big 12 uh, in a 9 plus 1. They just don't have them. You look at the remaining games on their schedule, and they're, they're pretty light. A lot of Missouri Valley, a lot of Conference USA. So if they go to nine plus one, or I'm sorry, to a full twelve game season, and they're gonna they're gonna have to go get, get games somewhere. I know that there's a lot of MAC teams that we need games. We know that from the Big Ten thing. Uh, BYU needs games, so that would help. That may help BYU. Um, the other part of that is when the Big Twelve would start, and they've already got two games scheduled on August 29th. They've got uh, Kansas plays Southern Illinois, and I think Oklahoma plays Missouri State. So they, they, that's going to be their philosophy. I don't think they care that, what is it, Pac-12, I think it's starting September 26th. They're going to be games all over the map if we play all over that month. All right, Gordon, kind of a few different issues to talk about, but let's start with the Pac-12 players and uh, what we saw over the weekend. I, I certainly have plenty of opinions on it, but why don't you get us started with some of your thoughts? Well, I agree with what PK was saying there, that everybody can understand uh, the import- importance of uh, keeping these athletes safe. I mean, those things all made a lot of sense to me. And signing any kind of uh, waiver that uh, if you get sick uh, playing, that doesn't that seem strange to you? Uh, that a university would try to protect yeah. itself from being liable? No. Well, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't, no, that doesn't seem strange to me. Uh, well, I mean, you got to protect the players. And then the as far as the financial stuff goes, there is no way the Pac-12 is going to distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in those respective sports. That's not going to happen. In fact, I think my colleague at the Tribune, Josh Newman, pointed out that that demand would be uh, a violation of Title IX. Um, Not the way that they worded it, because they said divide that revenue amongst all college athletes. So they didn't say specifically football players. Okay, because when you read it, distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their respective sports, that makes it sound as though it's the percentage within that sport itself. Um, maybe. I, th- I think that can be open for interpretation. I mean, Either way, 50%, there's no way they're going to do that. No. I mean, I, that, that, that ain't happening. But, uh, you know, overall, I know how you feel about athletes gaining more advantage from a financial standpoint in the college game. Uh, but it seems as though that was an emphasis on this, including name, image, and likeness rights, and uh, I, 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 but I did like the idea of being able to transfer uh, a one-time transfer, and that that's probably going to happen. I can see that happening. Although they also said also being able to transfer at any time on account of uh, any kind of abuse. And boy, you want to talk about interpretation of that? I don't know how you would break that down, but. Uh, 
if a coach, if a player feels as though a coach is be treating him unfairly in a way, I mean, how are you going to, how are you going to determine that? But uh, they're looking for every advantage they can get. So let me, let me ask you something, Gordon, and maybe this is me being naive. I, I sometimes accuse you of that, and, and this may be me being naive. But you know that saying made famous by Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste? I'm uncomfortable with that concept. So I've got to admit, when it comes to this, there are some virtuous things that they're talking about that I, I find intriguing and I think would be doable. But I am uncomfortable with... with um, uh, parlaying these current circumstances into jamming agendas that have nothing to do with it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? I yes, mean, like, it does it, yeah, I'm with you on the safety. And if people have concerns about the coronavirus and, and staying safe and all those things, that's, that's very legitimate. And if players are saying we don't feel protected, so we're threatening not to play. Well, that's, that's one thing, but saying we're not going to play and, oh yeah, here's all this other stuff we want to I'm absolutely uncomfortable with that. Especially so, when you get, in, especially Jake, when you get into making a demand that the commissioner of the conference, along with administrators and coaches, voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. I mean, I may agree with that in theory, but demanding it uh, and, and essentially saying that you're going to boycott if you don't get that kind of demand—that that does seem. A bit crazy to me. I think Larry Scott is way overpaid. But who are these players to come in and make that kind of demand uh, and then say, well, if you don't do these things, we're out? I mean, that seems kind of drastic. And, you know, there was some there was some language in the in their release that I was uncomfortable with. They talked about exploitation. And by no means do I think college football players are being exploited. Not at all. I, I don't agree with that take 100%. So if, if they're going to use that as a premise for this, well, I, they, they lost me right there because I, I don't think that, uh, that they are being uh, exploited in any way, shape, or form. And then they, they released this study, which was actually done by the activist who's putting this together, that threw out these figures that uh, seem entirely base, baseless to me on what per player people should be or players should be being confiscated, uh, compensated is ridiculous. And then they said, uh, if uh, you're going to treat us like employees, we should be like employees. They're not treated like employees because they're not employees. They're students. And last time I checked, students paid to go to college. But that's a definition of terms that has been argued about since the 40s and 50s. No, you can't make an argument that they're employees because they're not employees. Yeah, but they're not. They're not employees because the NCA has found a way to finagle this so that they're not designated Nobody as employees. Is, Be- why? Because they don't want to be liable to those particular employees. Nobody is being forced to play. Nobody. Don't play. Don't play. If you don't, nobody's forcing you to play college football. Nobody. And if you've got a problem with the NFL's rule that you can't get in until you're three years out of high school, go complain to the NFL. That's not college football's problem. The system well, is more than fair to 99.9% of the athletes that play. Well, in your opinion. Okay. But don't tell me you're being exploited. And don't tell me you're not being compensated because that's ridiculous. They're getting well, something what, what for they're free. Is that, that they are not. 
they were not getting compensated to the percentage that they should. I think that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, you think that's ridiculous, but they don't. And I just said that, you know, the thing about demanding that the commissioner and coaches and administrators take huge pay cuts. uh, Well, they do make a lot of money off the backs of these players. I would tell those players (laughs) cold heartedly, I'd say don't play. If you're going to threaten not to play, don't play. UCLA football will go on. Stanford will go on. What happens to Pac-12 football if every player in the Pac-12 or or three-fourths of the players in the Pac-12 decided they weren't going to play, Jake? Is that what kind of numbers we're talking about? No. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. They'll find other players. uh, They could find them eventually, but that would do great harm to the, the conference as a whole. Right? How so? They lose well, some football I mean, it games. Would take them, uh, if all, if, if a good number of the players who are currently football athletes in the Pac-12 said they weren't going to play, how long would it take the Pac-12 to re- recover from that? From a competitive standpoint, a year. And how much money? It would take them longer than that. Well, it depends entirely on how many players that we're talking about. But I, my response would be so. I mean, that's the system. Nobody's forcing anybody to do anything. Yeah, but Jake, you can understand why they might want to make certain things better than they are right now. Okay, you... so 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 I get that, and you know what? There are some ideas that they were talking about that I think are great and that people should pay attention to. I do like the the extra insurance after their playing career is over. I think that is yeah, a for six great, years. I, I think, think that's, that's a, really interesting. Six years, Jake. I think that's a great doable idea that receives or that should receive attention. Helping them, uh, helping athletes get their degree even after their playing career is done and giving them ample time to do that. I, I love those ideas. I don't think this is the right time to try to force that through, but I like that those ideas are getting some attention. I think that How that's really about the thing really I pointed important. out about, about transferring one time? Because that's going to happen eventually. And then in addition to that, uh, any t- transfer at any time in cases of abuse or serious negligence. I mean, we can have the transfer discussion. I don't particularly like it, but it's not a deal breaker, I don't think. And it's something, as you point out, that is already basically in the works of happening. So what's the point in including that here? Well, maybe because they just think it's one of the things that's important to them. And they mentioned the, I, there's the no way name. they're going to there's no way they're going to get all this. And what do you think of the uh, demand that sp- all sports be reinstated uh, that that have been eliminated? And they they, they uh, circled the uh, Stanford situation that has like a thirty billion dollar endowment, but uh, they they eliminated those sports because of economic concerns. Um, I guess I admire them looking out for their fellow collegiate athlete. But, I mean, it's it's real easy to spend other people's money, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. and, nobody, and nobody has gone on strike for anything yet. But, Jake, you understand why these players are, especially in a conference like the Pac-12, they are generating a lot of income for certain individuals, certain entities, and they feel as though they are being shorted. I don't and believe that they I, I, I are responsible for generating well, that revenue. Uh, uh, well, Jake, they are to some level. I, I guess that they put on their uniform, sure. 
But I mean, someone's got to score the touchdowns. Somebody's got to play the defense. But nobody cares about those touchdowns unless they're associated with that university. And nobody cares about your university's football program if you're not scoring some touchdowns and making tackles. Let's get rid of college football. Let's see some sort of minor league system, and let's see how popular it is. No, but but there's truth on both sides of that. Both sides. It's not all on one way or the other. The, the reason that college players are as popular as they are is because of the pedestal that the university provides. That's a fact. That's right. But there is no pedestal if your team's not winning. And if you're, you can't win without those players. Sure there is. That's the great part about college sports is they're there regardless. They're yeah, opportunities you, no for young could, people that nobody, don't go away if no, you yeah, lose football games. Nobody's going to care if you, don't win, if you don't have high-quality athletes in the system. I don't care about uh, uh, creating superstars. I care about uh, athletes getting opportunities. No, you care about your team winning. And if your team doesn't win because it doesn't have the high-caliber athletes, then no one's going to care. Uh, you, think, you think if Stanford wins two games a year, that, that, what's the attendance going to be then? What's, what, what the do, what's the TV dollar figure going to be if, if nobody from the Pac-12 is any good? I don't care about the TV dollars. Honestly, well, it, when it comes you down don't care. to— You don't care, but the powers that be do. But when it comes down to college athlete, athletics, I consider myself a bit of a purist. It's about the opportunity that is given to athletes to enhance their lives. And there's a lot of value there. There is. Whether, whether football players or basketball players want to, want to acknowledge that or not, there is a lot of value that is being provided to them via this system. There is. And certainly but nobody but is being but exploited. But there's no value at all if you don't win games. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Not from a standpoint of generating income for the powers that be. Your team, your team has to win or has to be semi-successful in order to be of value. That's that's great monetarily. I'll use your Stanford example. This is my opinion. These are my priorities at heart. That that two-win Stanford team that you were talking about, that's 100 players on that team that had the potential to get a Stanford degree. Who right. cares how many football games they won? They got the, the opportunity the money, to better their lives. But, but the money that the program generates for whom? For itself could not exist, would not pile up if those guys weren't any good. Sure it would. Vanderbilt's been terrible forever, but they still make that money. Yeah, but I mean, really, what's the program worth? Well, they're not. As opposed to, as opposed you can't to Alabama. can't sell a college football program, Gordon. So what do you mean? What's the program worth? Whatever. Let's let's talk about opportunities for students. This is these are student athletes. And I know people snicker about that, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And and I can't help for people not getting lost in the dollar figures and all this. And by the way, where do you think all that money's going? Right back into the athletic department. That that well, monster- wait, 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 wait. A lot of it's going into the pockets of certain individuals. Who? Administrators, coaches, coaching staffs, the the institution itself so is Kyle, benefiting from that. Uh, the institution itself—that's arguable because most of this money is going. In fact, Utah spends every dime it gets plus fifteen percent. It gets from the state, and Kyle Whittingham makes 
what, uh, $3 million, $3.5 million? That's less than 4% of the entire athletic budget. It's still a whole lot more than the athletes are getting. Kind of, maybe, depending on what that athlete sets itself up to do. Jake, here's the problem with this argument is that there's truth on both sides, not just on one or the other. Okay. I mean, as a, is the, the truth, I suppose, in a lot of to- topics. I can come along with you on that. And, and what these players are saying is, hey, give us a little more. Now they're asking for quite a bit, and I don't think they're going to get all that. But they'll get some of it, maybe. And uh, I don't. But I do that... agree. But I do agree with you that it is kind of a little bit bogus for them to to stack up all this stuff under these circumstances. Right. But maybe they feel as though they they have been underrepresented in the past, and they want to make it clear that they they're, they're making these demands, knowing they'll get some of them, but not all. I I, I don't like it. I, and again, I might be naive with that. Don't let it. Good crisis go to waste, but it bugs me. It bugs me in politics when you see you know this very necessary legislation and they just tack on you know whatever special interest. I mean, have you actually read what's in a farm bill? It's not just for farmers. Let me put it, put it that. I mean that that stuff really bugs me. But that's how that's how the system works in this country, I guess. But I mean they're not even a they're not even a real union. I mean, we don't even know how many there are. The, 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 the players that they listed as media contacts, half of them, well, I shouldn't say half of them because I don't know that, but at least a couple of them didn't even know exactly what was in the letter that was sent. The, the Pac-12's response to it was, we haven't been contacted by anybody. This group hasn't contacted. We don't even know who this group is or, or leading it or speaking for it. There's a, a list of a dozen players. None of which were from Utah, by the way. Although uh, 20-some players from Utah have tweeted support for the initiative. Yeah, but what does that mean? I don't know. It makes it sound as though they support it. Yeah, but it's easy to say, hey, we uh, support getting more money. But does that mean you're not playing unless these demands are met? Well, we're not quite sure what it means. Exactly. That's my point. We could be talking about 50 players. We could be talking about 15 well, <laughs> I think it's more than that, but uh, I will see how it plays out from this point uh, because I, I, I think the powers that be will play hardball over this stuff, much of it, maybe not all of it. I don't think they need to play for hardball. I guess that's my point. Well, if the players threaten to walk out, that's going to be a mess for the conference. I'd like to see how exactly how many of them do it. And I'd say go ahead. Go ahead. Of the of the Utah football players who have tweeted support for this, two of them are Jake Bentley and Cam Rising. Mm-hmm. It's your two quarterbacks. And if either one was set, was told, hey, you're going to be the starter, they'd go, well, this is nice and all, but let's play. But another, another couple players that are of note to our listeners – uh, are uh, the Phillips kid, the, the highly touted uh, defensive back recruit, and uh, Devin Lloyd, the well-known linebacker for the Utes. T. Green supported uh, supported the initiative. Nick Ford, the offensive lineman. So I mean, there's 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 a number of guys here. 
I just wonder what level they're actually on board with it. Hit and retweet is one thing. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, throwing away a whole year of your playing career is another. And not to mention the ramifications that come along with that. Because, I mean, you've heard or, or, or you saw already the, the reaction with, uh, with Washington State's coach, right? Uh, what's his name? Rolovich? Rolovich. Who uh, it was recorded on a phone call, basically telling a player like, "Hey, it's not really in your best playing interest to side with this thing," and he's being burned for it. But the, but he was just dumb enough to say it. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to follow. That's for sure. I, I don't think that uh, they'll be successful, and uh, this isn't any kind of a landslide that they're working with here. And I, but I don't know whether they uh, the individual powers will be willing to bend on some of this stuff. They should on some of it, in my opinion. But but are they no doing way. what we were speculating <laughs> dangerously about accusing Major League Baseball of doing? Basically uh, using this crisis to get what they want out of the next collective bargaining agreement? I mean, it just doesn't feel right, right? Mm, in some of the demands, but in others, uh, those should have been taken care of a long time ago, in my opinion. Like what, for example, the insurance thing, or I, I'm just curious. Yeah, what you're getting at. The, well, when you go through here, some of the support for those who are in need of support, uh, I, I think is a good idea. The transfer thing that we talked about earlier, I don't, I'm, I think that's a good idea. Um, uh, what you mentioned about the medical insurance for select players, for sports related conditions, extending for. A period of time after college athletics, uh, name, image, and likeness rights. Um, Which the Pac-12 doesn't really have anything to do with. How are they supposed to change that? In fact, was it? didn't that issue come be? Isn't it currently before Congress? So what's the Pac-12 supposed to do about that? Uh, but you can understand why a group of, of people who are representing whatever this blob is would uh, put in various demands that uh, that is on their wish list, but might not be all that realistic. No, I, I can't. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, safety stuff, all right, fine. But you're really going to take this opportunity now to make those kind of changes? I don't, I don't like it. All right. I, I also think that, that that point that was in there about the ability to complete eligibility after participating in the pro draft, if a player goes undrafted, um, that that seems like that's not a bad idea. I like I said, I think there's some decent stuff in there, but is now the time and is this the way? I don't think so. Well, and, we'll see, and being we'll completely unrealistic goes. about other things, where there's no way that they could ever do that ever. All right, uh, we'll get to more. We'll get to some jazz stuff coming up next. Want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service call today. 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Action Plumbing. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Gordo, let's, uh, we didn't get to the clip from Hans and Scotty today. Let's play this, uh, give us an excuse to talk a little jazz basketball. Here's uh, Hans, who was on his own today, and he talked to Kristen Kinney, Thurl Bailey, and Matt Harpering. And we've got clips from all three. Kristen, you know, we, we watched in the, the first game against the Pelicans, they shot 23.5% from three. And in that loss to OKC, they shot 25.8% from three. I just want to get your thoughts on, on this team's ability to hit from the three and and taking some of those looks on the perimeter. See, it seems like they're coming consistently, maybe a, a little less apprehension. But is it what you think Quinn Snyder wants in his design? Yeah, so I've talked to the guys a lot about this um, without Bogey, obviously big three-point shooter there. Um, but there's depth uh, on this team in terms of the three-point ability. They know that. That's why they have these players who can shoot the three and knock down the three. Clint Snyder's message always is more threes. They want more threes, more than what we've seen, um, and continue to knock it down without hesitation, with confidence. One of the things that stood out, and I know we have these three stents and periods where we'll start really strong like against New Orleans and then back off, and they want more consistency with that. But I will say, at that during that start against New Orleans, Coach did acknowledge the aggression of Joe Ingles and how important that is for the team who came out there and attacked. And I think he had two threes right at, right at the start of that game. And so that's what they want. That is the absolute message of the game plan. More threes, but you have to move the ball to create those good looks. Thurl Bailey. I know the Lakers are going to be tough tonight, too. I mean, the, the Lakers had a pretty ugly performance the other night against Toronto. No, but that's I, I love what you said, Big T. We can't take anything away from Steven Adams and OKC and what Steven did against Rudy, and we can't take anything away from what Toronto did to the Lakers, because Toronto, Toronto's feisty, and, and they're nasty, yeah. and they've got a point to prove. But I think the Lakers are going to come in refocused, energized, and I think that's going to be a tough matchup for the Jazz tonight. It will, it will, and you look and uh, you look at where everybody's playing, right? So there's really no you got to bring you got you have to manufacture your own energy, so to speak. I mean, it's it's a different place to play, and I and it's a different environment. So whether that be equal for everybody or whether it gives the team an advantage or not, who knows? But um, I think that all these teams are really trying to hone in on bringing bring their own energy longer. And so that's what the Jazz are going to be tasked with with the Lakers because they're obviously a great team. Their length is going to be um, probably their biggest asset with Anthony Davis and LeBron and McGee starting. That's a long uh, front court. Mm-hmm. And so the Jazz are going to figure have to figure out who's going to guard who. I think Rudy will probably start out on Anthony Davis. But whoever develops McGee, it's going to be guarding Javel McGee has to be uh, has to look out for the offensive rebounds. He's a great athlete, and of course LeBron, kind of that point forward, is still at his age one of the best. Matt Harper, it just didn't feel like the Jazz were on that same level that they were against that opener in the uh, in the Pelicans. Yeah, I, I agree. I think some of the juice, some of the energy um, was lacking a, a bit. However. You know, I think there's two different opponents, too. I think the Pelicans, as we're seeing, not a great defensive team. They don't really put um, as much emphasis on the defensive side of the ball as a Thunder team. And that Thunder team, you know, they had 40 wins for a reason. They were six in the West and before um, for a reason. They're a really good team. And I think 
you know, as far as the casual NBA fan, they don't recognize that they they see Paul George and Westbrook leave the team like, oh, they're not going to be good. And they have a bunch of good players. They have a star in Chris Paul, obviously. But, you know, they have a lot of great complementary players that play well together, and they are deep. And so they win by both the defensive side of things and the offensive side of things. So I think they took a lot of it. They, their action defensively took a few things away from the Jazz. I don't think they ever made the Jazz feel comfortable in that ball game. They never got into a rhythm. There was never really a big run by Utah. Um, so I credit OKC for they played a really good game uh, against the Jazz. Stephen Adams was certainly effective in, in what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think going forward with the Jazz, it's going to be important to get a good start. I, I think the last few games, even though they came back against the Pelicans, they're, they're digging themselves a hole and. You know, it's going to be tough to come back if they keep doing that in, in beginnings of games. they got to come out and try to set a tone early. Tough one tonight for the Jazz. Gordon going up against the Lakers. We'll see what Laker team uh, the Jazz get. But, they, I mean, it's why the threes are so very important. Now, what all, all those guys, especially Thurl and Harpering, are talking about, I mean, it's going to be a rough matchup. That's why that three-pointer has got to be the equalizer because they're small. The Jazz are just – I mean, the Lakers are huge. Starting uh, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, and LeBron. They're giant. We talked about this uh, back at the very beginning of the restart, that there were going to be nights of feast and famine. And that was that was famine against the Thunder. And uh, if you're a Jazz fan, I think you should be a little concerned about what might happen tonight. Uh Will they be able to do those things necessary that lead up to a good look and then greatly enhance the opportunity to shoot a good percentage from deep? Uh, the Jazz have to have that, so they have to do whatever's necessary because the Lakers are just flat bigger and, and, and better than the Jazz are. I right. mean, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. And how do you make up for that? And yeah. It's got to be X's and O's and made shots and... Uh, can't shoot twenty five percent from the from the three. You can't. And you you got to shoot more. Ball, yeah, and you can't let the ball bog down, and you can't be somewhat hesitant and uh, and not aggressive. You've got to go for it and go hard at it. And meanwhile, you can't have guys going four seventeen from the floor. I mean, it just won't work. The Jazz aren't good enough to overcome that kind of thing. And after Saturday, I may readjust which team I think the Jazz would match up best against. Because I said Oklahoma City. Yeah, you and that did. did not, uh, that did not look terrific. But who would well, be, though? I mean, Houston, look how well they played the other night. That yeah. would be a nightmare matchup. Uh, yeah. Denver, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's Denver. That's, that feels weird to say. But maybe that would be the matchup they'd be looking for. In which case, they probably should lose and move down yeah, and jockey Denver, for position. Denver, Denver did not look good against the Heat the other day. And uh, but yeah, I mean, the the West is tough, man, and it's and it's reflected in the in the uh, in the standings. Uh, you look at teams three through six; that's a total log jam. Hmm. Yeah, this, there's not there's not really a good answer. There's what's, really what's, not. What's kind of frustrating about this for the Jazz, I'm sure, is that all, those blanket statements everybody was making about the loss of Boyan Bogdanovich have been very much on display in the two games in the bubble. And I have a feeling it's going to be on display again tonight. And and that must be frustrating because they've spent this whole time leading up to these games 
trying to counter that and trying to get the players in a position where they can handle that loss of Bogdanovich. And, boy, it just hasn't happened. Even in the victory over the Pelicans, it was uh, that was skitterish. All right. We'll have more Big Show coming up next. Don't forget Chris Mannix at 4, Stuart Mandel at 4.30, not Sports Report <clears throat> at 4.50. Stay tuned. More Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your Monday. It is a game day as well as the Jazz take on the Lakers tonight at 7. You'll hear it all here on the Zone Sports Network. We'll have pregame for you at 6. Uh, and uh, Locke and Boone will bring you all the action. We do have NBA games going on. Actually, Gordon, we have one final. The Raptors beat the Heat 107 and 103. Two other games going on. The Thunder up on the Nuggets, 75-74. to And the Pacers beating the Wizards, 90-76. to uh, Love it that we're, we're updating scores. It's during the middle of the day. There, there was wall-to-wall sports over the weekend, uh, Gordon. It, it, it felt pretty good. I don't know. Did you watch any baseball over the weekend? You catch no, up on anything wa- outside I of basketball? I watch baseball, but I watched a lot of basketball. I, I watched that, that uh, Houston Bucks game. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and and Houston's one of those teams that I mean, they just beat the best team in basketball. You know? The team that I'm intrigued with is the Raptors. And, and by the yeah. way, did you see that um, the the coaches voted on their own Coach of the Year award and it was split between Billy Donovan and Mike Budenholzer? And uh, if I'm Nick Nurse, I'm like, hey, yeah. what do I got to do? I lost the best player in the league and I'm still awesome. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think it will be Nick Nurse that wins that. I think it should be. What the the Raptors are really good, and Pascal Siakam is a just monster. To yeah, you said it, Jake. To lose a player like Kawhi Leonard and come back and play the way they have this year, and you can't tell me. I know those guys probably like Kawhi, fine, whatever, but they played with an intensity to prove. Hey, that that wasn't all about Kawhi last year. There were other players on that team, and yeah. I like that. I How mean, I you? think that's kind of cool. I, not not if it's to the point of everyone being bitter about everything. Life's too short for that. But I have no problem with a bunch of guys who have pride in what they do, and they go out to prove it to everybody. I think that's a terrific story. Well, I, I think life's too short to not engage with your bitter side. But <laughs> Austin, what is the most enjoyment you've ever got out of your bitterness and your thirst for revenge oh god that's a that's a loaded question i've got relatives listening gordon (laughs) have you really been bitter toward those who you're supposed to be close to uh this is not i'm not on trial here (laughs) <laughs> I, I want to know if if your uh, your bitterness is has actually taken the step to action or is it just ill wishes? It's all it's all been ill wishes. Okay, 
I've n- I have not committed a felony. No. You have not sabotaged like do, do, somebody's car or something. Never no. cut a brake. No. Okay. Do, <laughs> do those. I was thinking more people, sugar in the gas tank, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you can do that. <laughs> so, uh, do the people who you are bitter toward? Do they are they fully aware? No, that's they're idiots. So of course they don't know. <laughs> so you hide it from them. No, I don't necessarily hide it from them, but they've been dumb enough to do things against me. Therefore, they're not bright enough to know that I'm openly talking to them about them being dumb, and I and I'm holding a grudge against them. Are you talking about Jake Hatch right now? Hey, no. <laughs> how many people not right are now. on you? How many people are on your list? Uh, about seventeen. Seriously. Truly. So you really are like Nixon. You have an enemies list. Uh, I'm not like Nixon, but if you will call me that again, you might find your way on the list. <laughs> uh, just saying just that in a sense that you have a list. Yeah. I have a list, yeah. yeah. I'm checking it twice. Were you right. on uh, Nixon's enemies list, Gordon? No. No. I'm just wondering. Sounds uh, like a yes. I know. Jake, he did work at the LA is Times. Is Jake on your list? Am I on your list? Well, you certainly are. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole category. <laughs> it's documented. Yeah, but that's, that's just joking. I'm talking about for real. Oh, I thought, do you think this is real? I'd have somebody else start your car for a while, Gordon. Which one? True. Good point. The pickup? You know, I love that scene in Kingpin where he, his car breaks down and the guy's like, "Some someone put sugar in your gas tank. And then <laughs> he sees Bill Murray's character and he's like, geez, what's that big bag of sugar for there, Mr. McCracken? <laughs> <laughs> I just like, wonder, I look at my coffee. I, I, I'm just wondering, uh, Austin, seriously, because we have listeners out there right now who might also be bitter in some respects and be seeking some kind of uh, satisfaction through ill will toward other people. I'm just wondering whether it really works out to your benefit or whether it messes you up. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not healthy at all to live the way I do. But the day when my enemies are thrown before me and burned, it will be a blessed <laughs> afternoon. Burned. Until then. That's a violent image. It went biblical. <laughs> wow. Uh, is it too late to say we're sorry? <laughs> Chris Mannix is going to join the show next. Stay tuned. Uh, Stuart Mandel at 430, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.